With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! Oh. A thunderous dunk! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Uh, Steaks must be back, Justin, because I was in my feelings last night. (laughs) uh about that loss to the lakers um i think that you know uh that's how i know i'm really i'm really invested is when i'm taking it really personal when the team has a bad game oh yeah. um and i i think no bones about it i think they had a bad game against the lakers i want if we can just jump right on into it i thought that like i think it would actually be a big mistake just to say lebron went uh nuclear which he did uh and that's why they lost lebron has gone nuclear like 50 times this season. Uh, and they're still uh, like 15, 20 games under 500. So, or yeah, I guess like 12 games under 500, whatever it is. Um, and uh, th- that's just not a good excuse. I thought the Cavs played a really undisciplined brand of basketball, especially on the defensive end in that game. I thought Mobley played the least in control that we've seen all season. Just mm-hmm. jumping at every Winion Gabriel was pump faking him out of his shoes. Um, you know, just stuff that we don't see Evan Mobley do. Um, I thought Karis Levert, uh, to, you know, to point out someone else who I was pretty disappointed by. I thought he, I mean, he just got like back cut, just standing still, uh, mm-hmm. gave up a, a key bucket as the Cavs were trying to fight their way back. I just didn't think they earned the win. Justin, do you feel a little better getting that all off your chest? Yeah, I do. <laughs> this is why you are the yin to my yang. And I, I, I think that this is why this podcast has lasted as long as it has. And uh, I, I think we should mention on the top, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary of the Chase Down podcast, Ow! which is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm glad that we've continued. But as I was stressing out and angry watching games uh, last week, I have now shifted. I am the one that is zen, and you are the one that is grumpy. And I... I basically was the Cam Newton gif with this Lakers game. It was, okay, we blew this. Now we have to move forward. Like, just kind of nodding. It is what it is. Uh, this oh, is I their don't, best. I th- I, 
in fairness to me this time, I, I wasn't too hung up on it. I was just mad in the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that. But uh, it, it's one of those situations where, <clears throat> pardon me, um, yeah, it, it feels like they are to blame for that loss without a doubt. I, I think you are correct in, in kind of pointing out both Evan Mobley and Karis LeVert. I, I thought both of them kind of played a little bit like they were out of control. It was one of the few times I've actually seen Mobley play a little bit like a rookie defensively where he was reacting rather than anticipating. And I, I think that was part of what got him into that foul trouble in that game, which, I mean, we, we can mention the foul trouble, but it's not like that's an act of God, right? Like that's something that he went out there and committed those fouls. And really what we've seen lately is a lack of consistency from the Cavs on the defensive end of the floor. And obviously a big part of that is the absence of Jared Allen. The Cavs are used to having at least one of Jared Allen or Evan Mobley at the five at all times, just whether it's together or, you know, staggering them apart. And they just don't have that. And I, I think you saw when Mobley got in foul trouble early in the second quarter, that meant prolonged stretches of Kevin Love and Lowry Markkinen interior defense against a LeBron James team. And I, LeBron obviously turns it up a little bit when he, he's coming to play in Cleveland. Uh, he put together a hell of a performance, but... I actually felt like this was the most that the Cavs have ever missed Jared Allen because you're playing against, uh, I believe you made this point to me, you're playing against one of the most surgical players of all time. And he basically did what he did to the 2018 Raptors where, yeah, they might have the better roster, but there's little gaps and little holes in the lineup and your rotations are a half second slow and he's going to make those passes a half second quicker than almost any other player and he just carved them up whether it was going to the rim himself two-man game with Wenyan Gabriel um just you you know just relentless attack and, and he just kind of took over the game in, in every way shape and form which we've seen before it's just it sucks to be on the other end of it yeah I mean it was a master class I I you just forget how he still makes plays that no one else can make. Nobody. Yeah. Um, specific and, and especially no one on the Cavs. I mean, he made a couple cross court, just effortless lasers to the opposite corner where I'm like, yeah, no one on the Cavs can make that pass. Cause the ones who can see it can't throw the ball hard enough. Right. And, like, and the, the Cavs are used so to talented. Like the, the Cavs, they don't have tons of great defenders, right? Like, I, I feel like they have been better defensively than the sum of their parts all season because they, they've been bought in, they've been in position. But a lot of it is, okay, we're going to give up certain things, and by the time you pass to your teammate or you pass out of the trap or whatever the case may be, we are confident that we're able to rotate in time. Those rotations were a step slow, I, I think just overall, and LeBron also makes those passes uh, a second quicker than almost anyone else does. Like the little lobby into the the paint is now a bullet bounce pass into the kind of shooting pocket. Like they're just it, it just the game moved at a different pace than the Cavs were ready to play. And I, I think obviously you, you can point out factors like Laverne and Mobley getting into foul trouble and not having them in that second quarter run. Uh, you can point to uh, the, the context of, Hey, this is their third game in, in four nights. Uh, a lot, they played overtime the first night Garland played over 120 minutes in a four night span. Like there, there are things that you can point to, but I, I still feel like this is a game that the Cavs could and should have won. They just, 
they they let the Lakers get back into the game. And frankly, it kind of felt like they got caught up in the moment, similar to that Warriors game where the return against LeBron, uh, they haven't beaten him since 2011. Uh, this is your chance to, to secure the first season with a winning record, get that 42-win mark. And I felt like they, they came out on the right foot. But then the focus kind of slipped. It felt, oh, this is going to be easy. The Lakers kept getting open threes and missing those threes. And then eventually they started hitting them. DJ Augustine hit them. Stanley Johnson hit his threes. Russell Westbrook started hitting some tougher shots against Isaac Okoro. Like once you give a team confidence and momentum, sometimes it's tough to take it back. And, and that's a it's a frustrating lesson uh, to to observe as a fan. But I, I think it is an important lesson for this team to learn. Yeah, I mean, totally. They, I mean, this is why, you know, I do think by the end they kind of had, they, they were kind of watching the LeBron show, but I thought LeBron was really taking it from them in the fourth quarter. But like, that's why I'm like, that's why you don't fall asleep for the first three quarters. Yep. Um, you know, you need to, <clears throat> against these great players, give yourself some cushion. Uh, because the reality is, if you're, I, if the Lakers are tied with any team in the fourth quarter, they have a better shot than any team with their record in NBA history. You know what totally I mean? Agree. Like, and like, so to that end, like, just don't let them be tied. Like, mm-hmm. you need to, you need to keep the pressure up. The teams that keep the pressure up on the Lakers always beat them, and the Cavs didn't. And yeah. you know, I, I mean, people were talking about how how great he was in transition. He is only great in transition because the Cavs regularly had four players underneath their own free throw line when shots were going up. Yep. Their floor balance was terrible. They weren't focused. On, on getting back and stopping these transition plays before they started. So they were able to get ahead of steam, get things going. LeBron had easy reads to make. The other players had easy reads to make. And ultimately, I, again, I think the Cavs earned this loss. Um, I, th- I think it's a game they should have won, mm-hmm. uh, Le- even with LeBron's excellence. And, you know, they, they kind of have to pay the piper because now they have two really, really, really big games, probably the two biggest games of the season, uh, in, in short order, uh, against Toronto on Thursday and Chicago on Saturday, and it's probably going to go a long way in deciding whether they hold on to the sixth seed or not. Absolutely, I mean they they have the opportunity to really give themselves breathing room, and like you said, well, LeBron, I, I think you're completely right. If it's a tie game or if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, they have a legitimate shot, and when LeBron decides to turn it on to that other level. He can go out there and steal a game. He did it against the Warriors back when that meant something. He did it against Miami. He beat Toronto on Friday and unfortunately did the same thing to us. So that's frustrating. But I almost feel like it's kind of, if it's going to happen, I'm happy it happened in this spot where the Cavs have two days off for JB to really work with these guys. Let's get back to basics. Let's get the proper rest we need going into these two massive games against Toronto and Chicago and see like if what's the more fun way to avoid the play in it and really earn that seed, taking care of the teams that you're supposed to beat and losing to Toronto and Chicago or going out and actually earning it against those teams. And while I would prefer to have the cushion and, and I would feel a lot better. And if I, could pick a path that would be the path i'd pick it's also great for these guys to have that experience because they're going to be going into a hostile environment in toronto on thursday trying to beat a team for a fourth time in the season which is not an easy thing to do and play a team that really just you know it outworks people 
Like they beat Philadelphia shooting very poorly over the weekend because they got 20 more shots than them and 20 offensive rebounds and got more steals than them. That's the type of team that the Cavs have struggled against. And it's going to take a legitimate effort to go out there and earn that game. Yeah. I, I, how are you feeling heading into this? I mean, ultimately we have to kind of like Toronto cooled down at just the right time. The loss to the Lakers uh, got thwomped by a, a reeling Bulls team so, to keep the Cavs cushion where it is at least. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't lose ground on Toronto, though they certainly didn't gain it on Chicago. Um, you know, like, how do you feel? Like, do you do you think they're going to take care of business here? I'm kind of, I shouldn't say indifferent because I'm obviously anxious about it, but I'm at the point where I've stopped really penciling in results because, as I said, Toronto went out there, beat Philadelphia without OG and Fred Van Vliet. And then they go out, they lose to Chicago. And then Philly goes out and beats Miami without Harden and Embiid. Like, it's really hard to pencil in wins and losses at this time of year. So I'm, I, I guess that my state of mind is more interested than anything else because I, I think this is a really good opportunity for the Cavs to, to go out there and try to earn this. But I'm I'm nervous at the same time. I mean, how, how could you not be? Like, I, I think even if they did go winless over these next two games, there is still a pretty clear path to earning the sixth seed and avoiding the play-in. They would just have to kind of take care of business against uh, the, the lesser teams you know, on their schedule and uh, hope that Toronto kind of keeps pace. Because if you look at it, last 10 games, Cavs have gone 5-5. Five and five. Raptors have gone 6-4. and four. If that's how these last 10 games play out, the Cavs are in the sixth seed, whether or not they win or lose to Toronto. But at the same time, they have an opportunity to really put their foot on their throat and make the path that much more difficult to Toronto. So my mentality is I would like to see them get one of these two games, whether it be Toronto or Chicago, because beating either of those teams goes a very long way to surpassing or keeping one of those teams behind them. Can I, can I ask you, do you care if they're the five or the six seed at this point? Because the two, three, yeah, and four seeds in Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston all have the same, uh, are, are all the same games back. Mm-hmm. Boston's a little lower on the on the win percentage. Uh, they have uh, they have an extra loss uh, and an extra win. I mean, it, it's kind of hard for me to even be like, oh, well, uh, like, because it used to be, okay, well, they should fight for the five if they can. But like now I'm just like, I don't really care as long as they just duck that seven spot, whether it's whether it's leapfrogging Chicago or just holding holding form or, you know, if Toronto leapfrog Chicago as they go through their death schedule, do you care anymore? No, I, I really I don't. don't because uh, like you look at the top four, I, I think those conversations were more interesting when Chicago was in there because it's okay. Maybe that's a, a team that we would have a better chance against. But you look at Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia. Those are all series where I would not be picking the Cavs to win. I, I think they could really push those teams. And uh, I, I I think everyone knows that I would love to see the Cavs beat Philly and, and that sensation. Or is Boston. Only... <laughs> I think I, I think I'd rather play Philly. I think I'd rather beat Philly, but uh, I'd I, rather I, play Philly at this point. Boston is beating everyone by forty points. That's true. By the second quarter, but they haven't played anyone in a little while. So we'll see what these next two weeks look like they for just, them. As they, they just beat the absolute snot out of the Nuggets. I know they aren't. I know they're not exactly rolling right now, but That's it was point. ugly. That's a good point. That's a good point. Still, I, I'm going to talk my mess. Also, beat the Boston. Warriors one ten to eighty eight. Warriors aren't good without Draymond. You know this. You, you I think know Dre this. played in that one. Sorry. 
Oh, that that's the one where uh, Marcus Smart uh, assassinated Steph. That ah, uh, yeah, Steph only played fourteen months, so f- fake news. There you go, there you go. See that t- typical Boston uh, apologist, Carter Rodriguez. Well, you hate to see it, but uh, yeah, like I I I don't really have a strong preference, and I I still think if you put a gun to my head and said where do the Cavs finish, I'd pick sixth. I think that that is the most likely outcome here. Uh, just looking at the the remaining schedule and even the the game in Brooklyn, I would probably pick the Cavs because Kyrie's not going to be able to play. Ben Simmons has a herniated disc; he's not going to play, and Jared Allen should be back at that point. The Cavs absolutely should be favored in that game. I know how good Kevin Durant is, and I know Kevin Durant can go out and single handedly win that game. But I feel you're not good. you're not accounting for revenge, Andre Drummond. That's a very good point. He's going to be motivated as well. Oh, my God. He's going to get uh, 25 offensive rebounds on us. But, like, I'm feeling good about it. I'm just – I'm more interested to see how this plays out than I am in predicting. Because, as I said, it's so difficult to pencil in wins and losses. Honestly, it's tough to figure out exactly how the Cavs are going to play quarter to quarter right now. And I I think it's – really been a feeling out process a lot of the focus has been on the offensive end of the floor but really it's it's the inconsistent defense that i i think has been letting them down lately yeah i mean uh i i think you're 100 right i think the defense again like i i railed on it pretty aggressively uh in, in that lakers game but just you know it when you don't have the security blanket of the tower city combo yep then it gets you have to be a lot more focused than the Cavs have been. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's it's not rocket science stuff. You know, like they don't always, they're not like everyone gets beat in the NBA. It's how you recover. It's how it's how you protect your, each other. And I mean, every time Mobley steps up, someone is lurking in the dunker spot to get an easy bucket and yeah. marketing's not there early enough. Um, every transition play is is terror right now they're not getting back in uh with, with the speed they need to get back and i i think you had written their 23rd in defense since the all-star break mm-hmm. uh someone did i don't remember who, who found the stat and feels about right you know i think that like and like what's so un- what's annoying to me about it is like there is some really good stuff happening on the offensive side of the ball and you know the second that they get some juice on offense that the defense kind of starts falling off a cliff yeah, and I I mean this I think factors into kind of the rookie of the year discussions. Like when when people talk about the the difference between Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes on the defensive end of the floor, obviously Mobley is the better defender, but Scotty and Toronto has more defensive pieces around them. Like you have Gary Trent Jr., you have Fred Van Vliet, Kem Birch, uh Precious Achua, like uh Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, like the list goes on and on. And the Cavs have outperformed their personnel on the defensive end of the floor because of how special both Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are on the defensive end of the floor, as well as Isaac Okoro on the point of attack, right? Like those three are so good defensively that it allows you to have Darius Garland just kind of play positional defense, active hands for steals, that sort of thing, and Lowry Markinen to go out there and play defense on LeBron James and Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic and all these other guys because the help is there and you saw in the game against the Lakers when that help isn't there because Allen's out and Moby's in foul trouble all of a sudden 
the the house of card falls down right on the defensive end of the floor and you know like it, it's understandable like that there is a very clear reason why it falls apart but it just goes to show just how important and how impactful those two guys have been and what a important component of the Cavs' success both Evan Mobley and Jared Allen together have been yeah they are the I've said it before they're the team's identity in the end um they are more than Darius's brilliance on offense, more than you know the the you know the 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 bench mob that early on with Ricky, Kevin, and Jetty. The, more it is, than Isaac Okoro's corner sniper. Oh my God, we'll get there. Um, my goodness, uh, you know I I think those are, those are the ones who kind of made this team different. You know, like they are just a more conventional team out there right now, um, and. You know, and you know, talent for talent, they it doesn't work, doesn't look quite as good when you when you when you don't have that identity creating um, pairing. You know, yeah. so I, and, I, and I you'd think... probably be better equipped to outscore teams if you had Colin Sexton, if you had uh, Karis Levert fully acclimated. Like it, it's it's a tricky thing they're trying to do. Get him back in a rhythm, uh, coming off an injury after missing essentially a month with the All Star break and his recovery time. And like it's just a lot of moving parts. And, and can, can I rant real quick? Yeah, go for it. It's driving me crazy that I can't say one negative thing about Karis Levert without like forty-seven people on Twitter in my mentions talking about what a disaster of a trade it he it is and how he's terrible. Like guys, a little room for nuance here. <laughs> like, like. Uh, I don't think Karras is thrilled about how, about you know hurting his foot three games into his Cavaliers tenure either you know and like I think we need to be able to kind of toe the line here a bit gang and talk about what it is to have a bad game without you know absolutely destroying the the guy as is a permanent failure who can who can't contribute to a winning team like I I, I find my Twitter mentions to be absolutely outrageous. Uh, uh, you know, like I, if I if I say, ah, Karis fell asleep on that play, then all of a sudden I have I have people in my my ads going, ah, that's who he is, though, and I'm like, is it? Like, I mean, come on, it, it drives me a little crazy, man. I feel like the 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 certain fans are are so sure that this isn't going to work based on such a a marginal sample. When as as we talked about in the last pod, all the lineup data is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, the lineup data has been good, and 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 there you go, pretending that Twitter is a real place. I, mean, I know, you, I you know, hate but to it's see just, it. It's hey, just Carter. You it's do not it real. too, pal. You do Un, it too. Unlike, oh, of course I do it, but I, I try not to bring it up on the podcast because it is not real. Unlike Isaac Okoro's three point shooting. Oh my God, Carter, he is up to thirty four and a half percent on the season, and forty five point two percent since the All Star break, and. Uh, obviously, it is still a relatively small sample size. I mean, you, you can look even at uh, an example like Matisse Thibel's rookie year where he shot 38% from three and hasn't done it since. But it is really encouraging to see the confidence that Okoro has pulling from three, especially in that right corner. He, he's money from there. But there are so many encouraging signs with him right now. And I honestly, I, I thought Okoro's three-point shooting Garland obviously being awesome uh, overall, even though he's not shooting great, but that's understandable. As I said, 120 minutes in in a four night span. Uh, Lowry, I I thought obviously he got cooked, but like that's just 
you're you're putting him in a tough position defensively. And Lamar Stevens, like those were my bright spots from the Lakers game because I, I thought Lamar was very, very good. He continues to impress me. I tweeted out during the game that I, I really do feel like he can be our PJ Tucker like contributor in the rotation. Like I, I think there's something there and I want to see more from him. I, I want to see him build upon this opportunity. And but Okoro I, I, I don't I don't think I don't think Lamar is a defensive genius like PJ Tucker is. Uh, he's not like PJ is not Draymond, but he's got some Draymond qualities. Yeah. Um, both as a post defender, I mean, and as a help defender. But I, I, I'd I argue that going. Lamar has a little more juice offensively right now. Like he a, certainly does. Yeah. He certainly does. That, that's why um, I said PJ Tucker type, not yes. Exactly I, I just Tucker. think. I know. I just think Tucker is a guy who is defined by his brilliance um, on that on that end of the floor. So that's why I am pushing back a little bit on that comp. But on the Okoro front, I mean, you know, I'll tell you what really encouraged me from that game is the backpedal three. Mm. He, he backpedaled into a spot and hit a, and hit a, and hit a three. Took it confident, maintained his form. It didn't look terribly different from where he's been. I, I obviously I don't you know it it is hard to like talk about shooting in a podcast environment because it's like you know what does that even comes mean in like, waves like yeah and and it's so hard to like you know predict because we don't really know but it just feels like he there they have found something in that right corner where mm-hmm. they go okay that's going to be your spot and you're going to be and, and that's really where you, we want you doing all your practice shots and that's where we want you doing all your in game shots for now like just get good there. And you're seeing the benefits offensively. Like he is, he is so much more easily playable in these environments. I'm honestly surprised he only played 29 mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in that game against the Lakers. I thought they could have used him more on both ends of the floor. Yeah, he, he didn't play a, a ton in the second quarter, from what what I recall. And it's, I, I still feel like the thing that's really going to unlock his game is the ball handling and him driving and making plays in those situations but obviously you're going to be in a more advantageous position and more capable of blowing by your defender if they respect that outside shot and it's not an either or proposition so to see him shooting this confidently i i think is great like this is kind of what we were hoping for, right? Like w- when we talked to Andrew Olson, when we, we talked to Mike Garrity and all, all the coaches in the offseason that said, hey, this is one of the hardest working guys that we've ever seen, that you would hope that working with a staff that has experience, that has had success stories of turnaround jumpers, I mean, uh, adding Jetty Osmond's jumper, Colin Sexton adding a three-point shot, like there, there's countless examples. And you hope, that that's going to happen for guys like Okoro or Mobley down the road, right? So to to start to see some returns is really encouraging because Okoro has been a guy whose impact doesn't necessarily show up in the stats sheet, right? Like you look at Matisse Thibel and while they get compared a lot, Matisse Thibel is more of an event defender, right? Like he generates blocks, he generates steals, while Okoro is that very a term mu- you just made up? What's that? Event defender? I don't think I made that up. I think oh, I've read I that. like it. I yeah. like it. But but that's what he is, right? Like, he generates those steals and assists where Okoro's just very much in position, right? Like, he, he's making guys' lives hell. He's making them work for it. And, yes, he does get steals and blocks, but he doesn't gamble a whole lot, right? So to, to see him start to get some of that box score production and start to add aspects of his game that 
don't require a lot of nuance to anal- uh, to analyze, I think is a real positive thing. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and, you know, he's always been a guy who doesn't show up that much in the box score. But, you know, it, it, you are starting to see it just a little by little, a little bit more here and there. And that does matter. You know, we, we throw out box scores a lot, but it does matter that you can be a threat and score. You know who has been filling up the box score lately, Justin? Who's that, Carter? I think you know the answer. It's Darius Garland. A basketball reference tweeted out because uh, Darius has just been going absolutely bananas. Um, uh, basketball reference tweeted out, youngest players to average 25 and 12 over any 10-game span in a regular season. Darius Garland at age 22. The Oscar Robertson. Of all time. Yes. Oscar Robertson at age 22. Uh, Isaiah Thomas at age 22 and Chris Paul at age 22. So, um, yeah, uh, pretty good company to keep. He has, it feels like he's even taken another level, um, in a season where he keeps taking leaps. What are you seeing from him right now? Well, I'm just going to stretch out and victory lap a little bit. Uh, this is a small room, so I won't ask you victory lap. But, you know, I, I did mention this, right? Like, heading into the All-Star break is this is where you start to see young players potentially take another leap. Like, Sexton did it at, at this point, uh, and Garland did it last year, right? And even in his rookie year. So I, I think the fact that you're seeing Garland take another step forward, both in his assertiveness and his playmaking, is really, really encouraging. Like, there is not... Like, can you remember the last stretch where Garland just was passive and you don't really notice him on the floor? Like no. that, that it's been so it feels like ages since that was the book on him. Yeah, that concern is out the window. No matter who he's playing with, he finds a way to make an impact on the floor. And that is such a positive. And I, I think moving forward, like in, in this last 10 games of the season, one of the points of emphasis for J.B. Bickerstaff should be, hey, we need to play harder, more consistently, because right now we're getting diminishing returns from Darius Garland. We are requiring him to play an entire second half, and his shooting's going to slip. But I love the fact that even when the shot's not falling, he's still taking the the right shots. He's still making plays for others. And I, I mean... In the night where he missed some open threes and and probably could have finished a little bit better against the Lakers, he still had a massive impact in the game, and they won the minutes that he was out there on the court. Yeah, he has been truly unbelievable. I mean, I remember literally like two months ago where I compared him to Steve Nash because he's the kind of guy who could impact the game without having a gaudy stat line, and he's like, just laughed in my face by saying, no, I'll do the Gotti stat lines too. Um, he has truly been a- elite in every sense of the word. And it made me want to ask you a question, Justin, because it was rattling around my head this morning. Are we sure that Evan Mobley is still the player with the highest ceiling on the Cavaliers after what we've seen from Darius this season? That's a really good question. Um, The thing I would point to, and this probably comes down to a basketball philosophy standpoint, and it's something we've brought up before, is I just feel like frontcourt players have more of an impact on the game. Like, if you're talking about both players hitting their absolute apex, Mobley, what he already does defensively, 
No, even if Garland was the best point guard defender of all time, he would not have as much of an impact on team defense as even a very good front court defender because they just carry more responsibility on that end of the floor. So if you're asking me highest possible ceiling, I think Mobley is a player that has an MVP type ceiling. I think that he is someone like you look at what he can already do when he is assertive uh, offensively and get a little stronger, tighten up that handle, reduce some of those turnovers, add a, a little bit more range to your jump shot. Like I, I think Mobley is the clear choice to have a higher ceiling, but Garland is making it very interesting in who is actually going to be better. And it's, I, I mean, it, it's not something that it has to be necessarily an either or thing, right? Like they, yeah, it's not a competition. Yeah, it, it, they complement each other so well, and when one plays well, it usually opens up things for the other, which is so exciting. But the reality is, we have two guys that I'm pretty confident have all NBA type ceilings, and that was something that I don't know if we felt fully confident. Like I, I thought Garland could be an All Star coming into this year, but he's showing. Like you said, <laughs> the the fact that he is the youngest player in history and the other peers that have done this type of a stretch at this age are Oscar Robinson, Isaiah Thomas, and Chris Paul. Like, that is not something that should be brushed aside. And, and he's doing it in the most important stretch of their season, not in uh, a stretch in a losing season where they're just going for a lottery pick and teams aren't taking the Cavs seriously. Every team is giving the Cavs their best shot right now. Every team is going against Garland without his pick-and-roll partner and Jared Allen to free him up, and he is still finding ways to score at this rate while also playmaking at this rate. And that is something that I, I think, like, as much as we are all stressed out by this play-in race and, and fighting to to avoid it, that is something we should all take a step back and celebrate because my God are the Cavs in a good position. And like, it, there's just so many bright spots, whether it's a course shooting Garland's playmaking Mobley, what him kind of finding himself more on the offensive end of the floor. Like that's the type of stuff that probably has me feeling a little bit more calm than I thought I would be at this position. I mean, I'm just going to read off his points and assists the lat in the month of March. Yeah, 33 on, and let, let four. A, hang on. Let me get a piece of paper to fan myself. Go okay. Thir 33 and four, 26 and 19, 17 and 10. Oh, boo. 41 and 13, 24 and 10, 25 and seven, 24 and 13, 22 and seven, 25 and 14, 24 and 12, 29 and 17. Um, he is truly, uh, truly putting up elite numbers. You mentioned the all-star to all NBA leap. I, I certainly felt like he was a guy who might get a third team all NBA if it broke right. I, I don't know what the ceiling is now. Um, you know, I know that guard is I know that guard is just an insanely competitive position. Yeah. Um and and, and by the way, I didn't answer the question. I still think Mobley's the higher ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I think Mobley could be the best two or three players in the league. I, I think uh, Mobley if, can win if, an MVP. Yeah, and I'm not sure Garland can get there. Um, but you know, ultimately it's just so exciting that it's even a conversation. Cause like, to your point, like there is a world where Darius has a better career than Mo Mobley. Um, and I, I think even, even three months ago, I don't know if I could have gotten there Yeah, you know, like be, it's... just because of how promising Mobley is. And again, this is no slight on Mobley. This is just Darius 
jumping into another stratosphere as a performer. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I mean, just it's, crazy. It's Garland living up to those pre-draft Damian Lillard comps, right? Like, and he's basically the age that Lillard was when he came into the NBA. Like, it's very, very exciting to to see him perform at this level. Actually, I'm pretty sure he is the age Lillard was when he broke into the NBA. Um, it's just very, very encouraging. And again, like the the fact that we are having this conversation about these two guys, and I agree, I think we're on the same page. Mobley has the higher ceiling, and even like that 90th percentile outcome for Mobley's career, I think is higher just because of the the natural gifts he has and the advantages of playing at that position. Um, we're talking about these two guys, and we have a 23 year old all star in Jared Allen. And yep. we, we have one of the best on-ball defenders in the league who is now finding his three-point shot in Isaac Okoro. And that doesn't even go to... And and we have a guy that put up 24-4 and four last season very efficiently in Colin Sexton that can fill into that Tyrese Maxey role, right? Like, And we have Larry Markkinen, who, who's playing really well. And, and also fitting. like 24. <laughs> yeah, 24 years old. And we have Lamar Stevens, who's 24 years old and, and showing more. Like, just from like a, a team building standpoint, it, it's an embarrassment of riches, and it's really exciting. And, and you know what? This has actually cheered me up. I, I didn't expect this to be the tone for this podcast, but just kind of taking stock of where we're at, I, I think, is important. So uh, that's that's you're uh, welcome. That's a, a fun producer. note to, to hit right now. Yeah, you're telling me, pal. Uh, this this team is awesome. Here's another random question. This isn't on the rundown at all, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna freelance here. Um, Mobley at the four. We know that that's kind of where he he's the strongest right now, and we've seen the defense kind of collapse without so a backup five that they can give legitimate minutes to. That is a defensive presence. Obviously, they can play Lowry and Love, and they both those guys can spend minutes at the five and add value in their own ways. If you're the Cavs, do you invest in the backup five a little bit this off season? Um, that's an interesting question. So, I mean, this came up a little bit when they, they were playing the Clippers and people were getting upset that, uh, again, that they, the Cavs didn't retain Isaac, uh, Isaiah Hardenstein, which, I mean, remember when Ed Davis signed and we gave that position to him, what his quote was at media day, it was, I'm not here to play basketball. I think that's a tougher sell for someone as young as Isaiah Hardenstein, but I, in the, in the same breath, yeah, I, I think if you can find uh, a little bit more depth and even someone like Moses Brown, like I, I obviously don't know what he's like in practice or, or anything like that. Uh, so I'm sure those type of things will come into the decision making. Uh, JB Bickerstaff is very big on guys that he can count on and at the center position, athleticism and being able to finish dunks and stuff like that is great. But your reliability on the defensive end of the floor is going to dictate the minutes that you get on this team, especially at center. Um, but retaining someone like Moses Brown is really interesting to me. Like, obviously, there's not going to be a massive role for these guys, and that's probably a tough sell in free agency because the Apex Cavs, and when they're fully healthy, are going to probably have Jared Allen or Evan Mobley playing center at all times, and I wouldn't necessarily want to disrupt that dynamic. But having a center that you feel a little bit more confident in giving minutes to than uh, Ed Davis. I, I think there is a value to that, especially when you are navigating an 82 game season, because reality is 
no team has guys that play all 82 anymore. Like teams are much smarter about how they manage injuries. Um, the, the grind of the regular season is tough. Everyone's bigger, faster, stronger. So the collisions are, are going to result in injuries. So uh, I, I think having that a, as a, a third string option, uh, th- there's definitely a value to that. I, I actually think, I think you, I think we're kind of having two different conversations though. Cause you're talking about third, third bigs or I'm sorry, third fives. I'm mm-hmm. talking about a backup five that 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 you play less Lowry Love. I mean, you look at some some bigs around the league that would be really good fits. There there are so many good backup centers in the NBA, Justin. I'm, I'm still is, counting Mobley as the backup five, though. Like that's, I know, that's but what thing. I'm saying is, are we learning that on the on nights where Jarrett when Jarrett's not available, or just you know, like, do we want Mobley to play full time four? defense ah, if, if okay. you're trying to, if you're trying to be put your best defensive product on the floor look at a guy like gorgie jang mm-hmm. a guy who can sp- who can shoot a little bit but also rim protect a guy like Dwayne deadman um a guy like nerlens noel who's more of a more of a traditional rim protecting backup five there are so many talented defensive backup fives that are just on the bargain ben yeah uh and i just wonder if like the the thing about making a decision like that, though, if you're going to invest in a player like that, because you're right, you do have to play him. If you're gonna like, you're not getting Nerlens Noel to be like, hey, if if Jared gets hurt, you can play 20 minutes a <laughs> right. game. Um, you know, I think that you have to play them. And what's interesting to me about that is it does back you into some decisions elsewhere. Uh, you pretty much have to commit to continue playing Lowry at the three if you're going to have him and Love on the same team. Because if you're giving up those backup five minutes, uh, you don't really have a big space to to put those guys. Like as much as Mobley plays the backup five when the team is fully healthy, they still have plenty of minutes where Lowry or Love are are, are playing together at the four and the five. Yeah, uh, and it, if they look to upgrade at the wing, like you got to put those guys somewhere. So like, I it does lead to some interesting questions down the down the road here with how they're putting this team together. I think that's a really interesting question, and it also does seem to line up with kind of how I interpret the way J.B. Bickerstaff uses his rotations, where he wants to keep guys in their roles no matter what. Like, uh, when Larry Markinen is out of the lineup, it's Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens at small forward rather than Jetty Osman, who's the second string small forward, because we need to keep Jetty in his role. And I I think there's definitely... Um, advantages to doing that with, with Mobley if um, Jarrett was out um, and, and keeping him at, at the power forward position. I, I think right now it's really informative to get these reps at center, and I think it's good for his development. But in terms of my list of investments, it wouldn't be at the top of my list, if that's what you're asking. I, I think that there's a value to bringing in someone like that that kind of is flexible with the minutes that they can play and certain matchups were going to use you more than others, but I'd prioritize a wing board than anything. Uh, I would too. I just wanted to have the discussion because it, it it does feel like Mobley is such, is so weaponized defensively when he gets to play the four. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. And I've long said, I I think Mobley's best position defensively is going to be the power forward position. Like I, I think that is what unlocks him because I wouldn't want him to be the Rudy Gobert just kind of sitting in the paint. And yeah, he comes up on pick and rolls and and switches. Like, I I love the ability to put him at the top of the zone because he can destroy 
whoever is trying to initiate at the point of attack. I love that he he can play free safety and he can read the defense and doesn't have to worry about staying home. Like I, I think that that is such an advantage when you're building uh, what hope you would hope to be and, and would continue to be an elite defense. Um, so I, I definitely get the uh, the advantages of that and. I'm I'm really interested to see how this Thursday game goes, though. Sorry to uh, pivot because Toronto's going to be tricky. Um, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, has a hyperextended toe, left toe. He missed the Chicago game. He suffered that late. He's a calf killer. Guys who can pull from three are Cavs killers. He, he absolutely is. And we've seen now recently um, in the games Toronto has played without Fred Van Vliet, they've been really competitive because they go with this all six nine lineup and they just offensive rebound you to death they, they just uh throw a shot up at the rim elbow their way into offensive rebounds and get those putbacks like that that has been their style and uh if gary trent jr misses uh the game thursday they're likely going to do the same thing with scotty barnes at the shooting guard position uh they've been going with both precious achua as well as cam birch so a two center without either being a, a true center lineup. So I, I think it's going to be one of those games where the Cavs are going to have to really pay attention to detail with or without Gary Trent Jr. because this team is not good in the half court. If Trent Jr. is out, that really hurts their ability to hit three-point shots because he's their best shooter. OG's their second best shooter and he's out. Or I shouldn't say he's their second best shooter, but he's one of the most reliable shooters. And then Fred Van Vliet hasn't shot well since the All-Star break because he's been dealing with a very bad knee. So the Cavs are going to need to take care of the basketball, not give them the opportunities in transition as they gave the Lakers, and secure those defensive rebounds if they're going to have a chance. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. This is my favorite matchup for the Cavs. Um, to watch, I, I think this has the makings of a really fun rivalry. The the Scotty Evan thing is real. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they like. I, I I don't think they dislike each other, but I think they kind of relish playing each other. Yeah, and both of them probably thinks that they are the rightful rookie of the year. It, it's like um, Melo and LeBron back in the day, yep. right? Yep, and uh, j- just like then we have the better one. Um, and uh, you know, I think that. Ultimately, the the stylistic differences of these two teams are, is too fun for me. Even with Allen out, even with some of the some of the key players for the Raptors out, so it's going to be an absolute um, like Cavs better come out focused and ready to work. I'll tell you that much because Toronto never ever 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 goes away, and they're so relentless on those offensive boards. And there are games where you feel like you're really taking it to them, but. And you look at their their field goal percentage, and it's low, but it doesn't matter because they made the shot after they missed it uh, most of the time by getting bored. So Cavs are going to have to come out ready, and uh, I think I think that they have a very good chance to coming off a uh, a very teachable loss and then a two day rest. Yeah, absolutely. And Toronto's on a two day rest too, so both teams are, are going to be rested up and uh, fully motivated. So this is going to be a real test. This is a more experienced team than the Cavs. Uh, fighting to avoid the play and and move up in the standings. And then same thing with Chicago, uh, a more veteran team that the Cavs will be hosting on Saturday. Uh, They got Patrick Williams back in the lineup. Very happy to see him back, even though it makes the game a little more difficult for the Cavs. This is going to be a real test, man. 
And, and like I said, they still can, there's still a very clear path to the sixth seed if they were to lose both of these games. Uh, I'm very aware that that's a, a realistic possibility, but the other side of that coin is they managed to take some of these and they're going to be in the driver's seat uh, to secure a playoff berth and avoid that plan. Yep. I'm, I'm really excited uh, and stressed. Me too. And we'll be podcasting Sunday next, right? You're going to be around for that? I believe so. Should be home. Hell yeah. So we will be recapping those two games. Obviously, pivotal, pivotal matchups for the Cavs. We'll see how they come out and respond to this loss. Big thanks to everyone tuning in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cats. <laughs>